Hello, and welcome to the Perceptive Photographer Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Gregory. You are listening to episode 466 of the Perceptive Photographer. I really do appreciate you listening to the podcast. If you're a subscriber, thanks for subscribing. If this is your first time listening, thanks so much for joining in. Really do appreciate you checking out what the podcast is all about. Just a quick reminder that if you hit my website, danieljgregory.com, under the Workshop and Educations tab, all sorts of new classes, online workshops, in-person workshops are all up there. I'm adding more and more each week. So make sure you check that out if you're looking for a way to have a deeper connection to sort of your photography and your photographic practices. Like I said, I've got a little something up there for everyone. Also, I'll be getting ready to announce a couple of new webinars here. Those will be coming up on my newsletter. So if you haven't subscribed to the newsletter, you can also do that up there on the website. And that'll keep you up to date on all of this information. And that concludes our advertising portion of the podcast. Okay, so what we're talking about today is a couple of ideas, a couple of concepts around the key to getting started into sort of more meaningful work, more engaging connection to your photography. And one of the things that I hear over and over again is that people talk about wanting to create work that matters, work that they engage with, work that they connect with. That's sort of what draws people to trying to find things of significance in their work. It helps you find people who you connect with for your photography. It's sort of what draws you to your community. You're looking for like-minded people to sort of help you with that. But getting out there and finding a way to make that sort of initial couple of steps into meaningful work can be a challenge. And part of that comes from, I think there's a, a logic fallacy that sort of comes around for, I take photographs of things that interest me, things that catch my eye in front of me. I don't understand why. I don't think there's any special meaning to them. They're the things that attract my attention. That alone is unique to you. That alone is a unique characteristic of the way you create work, the things that uniquely attract you to photograph them because not everybody photographs them. And we oftentimes think, well, yeah, a lot of people photograph them. Yes, a lot of people may photograph similar subjects to you, subject matter to you, but you photograph them oftentimes in a way that's slightly different. That's sort of your unique sensibility to the way you create photography. But that drive of why do I create those photographs? What makes them meaningful is a compulsion that I think a lot of us have. We may couch that under, I don't want to think about it. It becomes hard to think about it. It's easier just to accept that I just photograph things that are in front of me. But all of us are drawn to certain elements and certain things. And so no matter sort of what our approach is, what our thinking is, connecting to that more meaningful expression is something I think all of us ultimately end up at. No matter even if we're driven by years and years of just trying to get the perfect photograph of the perfect thing processed the perfect way in Lightroom or Photoshop or in the analog dark group, however you make your photographs. Even if we create that absolute perfect photograph, if it's sort of soulless and devoid of the meaning we intended or wanted, we end up with not that great a photograph. So no matter where we sort of sit, we fall into this sort of trap. So one of the things that I think really helps us in this process, helps us connect to more engaging work is when we start to think about photographs, not as singular objects, singular artifacts, but as things that sort of speak to a broader connection, a broader concept, a broader association of things. Now, in many cases, we're going to talk about that being related to other photographs, but that might also be some connection to another object, another artifact, another set of language, so it may not just be to another photograph. Maybe it's associated with a painting. Maybe it's associated with a sculpture. Maybe it's associated with a story you're telling. Maybe it's associated with some video production. So it's not always just photograph to photograph. But for most of us who are photographers, what we're talking about really is a project as a collection of photographs. But again, not to sort of limit the imagination. It could be 
something broader than that, even something undescribed in the podcast at this point. But as we start to look at how we pull together this idea of one thing related to another to expand our understanding of our work. Because sometimes when we look at one thing, it's very difficult to understand the one thing, the context, its meaning, its purpose. Sometimes it's clear, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes we need more information to get a much clearer, a more interesting sort of look at what is it that I'm trying to communicate? What am I trying to talk about? For a lot of us, we call those projects. We bucket things together that seem to cohesively fit together to sort of expand our awareness of understanding of something, someone, a place, a time, whatever it is. The idea of creating the project is oftentimes the initial barrier problem. We look at our work and we don't see how things fit together. We don't see how things join together. They seem incongruous. They seem like they're broken. And so as we start to think about, well, I would love to do a project about XYZ, we can't figure out how to get there because we don't see sort of the forest for the trees. I think that comes about for a couple of reasons. One is I think we try up front to understand the meaning of the work at the beginning. The meaning and purpose of our work comes to us through the execution of the work. When we do the work, we get deeper insights, we get deeper understanding, the meaning of what we're doing becomes more and more clear. If we sit there and try to figure it out ahead of time, we struggle with trying to understand the ending before we've written the intro and middle. Now, sometimes we start with an ending, but we have clarity of the ending and we're willing to accept the fact that we don't know the intro and the middle. Maybe it's a mystery novel and you need to know who did it first before you can work your way backwards. But in a lot of cases, that's the exact same thing as sort of starting out. You may know the ending, but you don't know the beginning. And if you struggle to try to figure out the beginning before you commit to actually creating the work, you may never actually get the work started. So part of understanding meaning is that we've got to start doing that work. That in itself is an important piece of the puzzle. Another important piece of the puzzle is that sometimes we cast too narrow of net too narrow of definition of what we think our work is about. When things become too narrow, we get worried about precision. We get worried about the exactness of what we're doing. And because, again, we're not exactly sure what we're doing. We haven't defined the project yet with enough clarity to necessarily move in a very specific direction. What we need to do is sort of give ourselves a little more wiggle room, a little more space. So when it comes to defining projects, I think one of the important things to do is to start as big as possible. And let's say like you're a person who you love people. You think people are amazing and you want to tell the story of people and different types of people. Maybe relationships is your project and how relationships evolve and change and develop. And when you start with relationships, you can then start to photograph and just think about relationships. Then it might be relationships between family members, relationship between work, relationship between people on the land, relationship between people and their pets, Whatever relationship sort of route you go, it starts to narrow as you get more and more clarity from the type of photographs you create in service of relationships. Same thing with the landscape. If I say you're a landscape photographer, that's a very big bucket. But what if what you're really interested in is texture and textural elements of certain types of trees? Yes, it's in the landscape. It's of the land. And whether we want to split hairs on whether it's micro macro photography, if it's truly a landscape, but you're working out in the natural world focused on something very specific. But if you start off thinking, I'm focused on the texture of bark and trees, what does that mean? What is that about? What is this? What is that? 
we haven't sort of given ourselves again the room to think about what is it that I'm approaching the land with. So as we start to think about a big bucket and then narrowing it down, part of that narrowing the language, the descriptive language as we describe our projects, help us helps us get a little clarity around that type of work. Now, the reverse is also true. You could start off small. You could start off with tree bark. You could start off with red tree bark. You could start with red smooth tree bark. But then you're going to work your way back into the bigger bucket. You're going to say, well, why is it tree bark? What is it about this? What is it about this? What is it about this? And move yourself back up again to a broader space to make sure that what you're trying to communicate is best communicated through tree bark. Because what you may have done is believed that your tree bark was communicating one thing when it's in fact communicated another, or the thing you're most interested in communicating about is not told through that as the metaphor. So we've got to make sure we give ourselves plenty of room to sort of conceptualize these projects as key concepts and recognize that we're in a constant state of refinement of the project. Now, at some point we get in a project where we have enough clarity where we can start to shoot with very strong purpose and intention, but that doesn't come at the start. That comes later. That comes again with more of the work being done, more of the work being defined. And one of the things I think can sort of help you in this process as well is that when you're out, say, walking around, and this may not be you as a personality type, but you've been around people like this. You're walking on a beach and there are people who like to pick up random seashells or they pick up sand dollars or broken sand dollars. They pick up little pieces of driftwood or certain types of rocks. They like really smooth rocks. They like rocks that have aggregate in them. They like little amethyst, whatever's floating around. They like to find diamonds, whatever. They find little things and they're collectors of things. And at the end of the day, then they walk and their pockets eventually get full of stuff and they get to a spot and then they sort of sort through and they pick out the best of the collection. These are the things I'm going to keep to take me, take home, put on my shelf and sort of remind me of the day on the beach. And then they collect stuff from all sorts of other places. Most of us know some type of collector. Most of us maybe even be a collector because as a photographer, you're basically that. You're basically a collector of things. The idea that I photograph things that catch my eye. As I go through and I start to recognize that these things catch my eye and I photograph them. And I've, these things catch my eye and I photograph them. At the end of the day, what I have is a collection of things that I've photographed. I am, in fact, a collector. But as I start to sift through those things that I collect, just like the person at the beach is not going to take home every seashell, they're going to take home the ones that sort of resonate with them the most. And so part of the struggle as a photographer, part of the challenge as a photographer is going through, and again, we want images that meet the minimum acceptable quality bar for framing and composition, but also speak to the purpose and nature and intention of our sense of collection. That collection is your project. That collection is your concept. You're looking for the things that sort of fit in that bucket. And so as you look at a photograph, as you start to look at a set of images you've collected and you can say, this photograph feels this way, or this photograph invokes within me this certain response, and this photograph does not. This photograph invokes something different. We start to recognize that part of the projects that we're working on is not just the things themselves, but our reaction to those things. And that a photograph can be in one project, another project, or simultaneously exist in both projects. It's the response that drives the experience of the photograph. And so as we look at photographs, it's not just that we photograph things that are interesting to us. What we are photographing is our interest in how we respond to the things in front of us. Not just that they're there, we would be photographing everything all of the time, nonstop. But we don't do that. We're selective. We choose 
we pick, we identify, we contemplate, we might shoot multiple angles, trying to make sure it conveys something of interest. All of those elements are in service of the meaning of the work. That meaning, again, comes from the ability of us to not have one photograph to look at. But it's the context of if I go home with seashells and I have three or four seashells that are the best of the seashells. If I go home and have three, four, five, six photographs and I have the best of the photographs that are the most expressive and, again, aligned to frame and composition, they convey a meaning, a feeling, an idea, or a thought what I'm starting to do is gain insight into the nature of my project, the nature of my work, because it's not everything fits. These are sort of the best of what we look at. And unfortunately for a lot of us, when we think about the best of a photograph, what we ascribe to that is ideal light, gesture, color, composition, framing, as if there's this checklist of what makes a good photograph. But in the case of understanding our work, in the case of understanding meaningful work, what that checklist is all about is which of these photographs give me the greatest insight into the reason I created the work and the reason I'm creating and continuing to create this work. That is the piece we're processing. That is the piece we're working with. So what makes the five-star photograph from a quality standpoint for external consumption from a beautiful standpoint is different and distinct from a five-star image that ascribes meaning and understanding to why I create my photography. The trick is knowing the difference. When the world's great, they're both aligned, beautiful, external, and ascribed to meaning. But not every photograph has to be both. Some can be informative for the meaning side of that. So as you're thinking about your work, bucketing these photographs, bucketing these ideas into these big, huge sort of swathing nets of excitement that you can contain a lot of photographs and then start to sift through and think about them as ways of responding will oftentimes give you much higher success at identifying what your photography is about. It's never easy. It's a lot of work and it's a skill that we have to refine over and over again through our photographic process and photographic sort of experience. But it's definitely worth the effort of thinking about how do we approach that work and how the work we create every day is adding to our meeting and understanding. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Again, I'm Daniel Gregory, the host of The Perceptive Photographer. Every Monday we release a new episode, so hopefully you're subscribing to that and checking out that podcast when it's released. If you're not a subscriber, hit that subscribe button and you'll be able to stay up to date with the podcast once they're released. Have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. I hope it's sunny wherever you are. I just love the sunshine, getting the free vitamin D. It's what happens when you live in the gray Pacific Northwest. But no matter what's going on, have a wonderful week and I'll see you in the next podcast.